In this episode, I'm joined by Russell Berman, who is an American professor of German studies and comparative literature. He is the author of multiple books, including The Rise of the Modern German Novel, Crisis and Charisma, and Cultural Studies of Modern Germany, History, Representation, and Nationhood. In this episode, we talk about Ernst Jünger's novel, Eumersville, and his concept of the Anarch, alongside discussions on violence, myth, and ideology. I'd like to say a big thank you to all my paid patrons and subscribers for making all of this work possible, and if you wish to support Omedics or wish to join the community, please find links in the description below. Enjoy. Russell Berman, thanks very much for joining us on Hermetics Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jim. So just before we jump in, just we're going to be discussing uh, two works by Ernst Jünger. Uh, Omschwil, um, I, believe, I hope that's the correct pronunciation. I've never had to pronounce it out loud. So Omschwil and The Forest Passage. Before we jump in on those, just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first came across the work of uh, Jünger. Uh, sure. Uh, well, I'm, I was originally a, a scholar of uh, German literature. That's what I did my, uh, my graduate work in. Uh, over the years, uh, my, my areas of interest have expanded uh, critical theory, Frankfurt School, uh, more politics and history, um, um, also fig- figures from the left and from the right, from the right, Ernst Jünger, Carl Schmidt. I've uh, worked on translations and introduced some volumes of his um, and um, – and so forth. I do many things. Um, what I have done is um, uh, work on Jünger as well. I first encountered Ernst Jünger when I was a graduate student uh, working on 20th century German literature. Um, I remember uh, uh, discussions of the Marble Cliffs in a seminar with um, the uh, the late scholar of um, German literature, Egon Schwartz, a wonderful person, wonderful teacher, great book on Rilke. Um, uh, and then um, uh, later I wrote a uh, book about um, the um, um, German modernist novel. And in that, in my book, The Rise of the Modern German Novel, I talk about Der Arbeiter, The Worker, uh, which is a, a long, a very long essay, one could say, by Jünger um, from the early 1930s. Uh, not exactly a novel, but the categories he works with are important for me. And since then, um, I've uh, continued to uh, come back to Jünger as uh, as an important um, writer of the modern German 20th century and uh, an important thinker, period. The Worker is a book which, even for Jünger, is peculiar and it, his style in it is extremely different to the rest of his work. I've yet to really get my head around that book. Should I give a, a little bit of an overview of the trajectory of Jünger's career? Would that be helpful? Um, yeah, if you'd like to. Okay. Well, he he, he lives a, a a very long life. Um, uh, his um, uh, first important uh, work and standpoint of what is read is uh, in the um, Storm of Steel, Stahlgewitter of 1920, which is his memoirs from his time in the in the First World War. And that's often read in in courses about uh, World War One, World War literature. Sometimes he's accused of uh, of of uh, beautifying the war. I don't think he does that. It's certainly strangely devoid of nationalism. But he does talk about the the um, the visual experience of war, um, while at the same time quite aware of the devastation, the death, and the suffering. Um, in the 1920s uh, in Germany, it's the Weimar Republic, the first real democracy in Germany. Um, Junge is part of uh, uh, a camp. It's not an organization anyway, the conservative revolution. They're, they're skeptics of democracy, um, but not in a traditional sense. They're not about a return to the Kaiser, but in a long history of um, critics or skeptics about democracy, um, they develop a uh, a range of stances. Some of the conservative revolutionaries end up as Nazis. Some of the conservative revolutionaries end up as anti-Nazi resistance fighters <clears throat> executed by Nazis. So there's no easy political um, categorization. Uh, Junger um, participates in a criticism of Nazism with his famous uh, uh, Marble Cliffs book of 1939, um, it's not a Romana clay. It's not an easily um, it's not easily read as a precise description of the of the Hitler and and his henchmen, but it is clearly a critique of tyranny, and it was read as a critique of the regime, and it was therefore taken 
largely taken out of circulation. Um, uh, but he continues to write in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s. Oimisville, the novel that uh, you struggled to pronounce, uh, mm-hmm. is from uh, 1979, I believe, 1977, excuse me. Um, uh, and um, he, uh, he, he has a long life, and there's actually uh, reportedly a deathbed conversion to Catholicism. So there's a... Uh, he goes through many phases. He's not easily categorized from the war literature of the 1920s to kind of post-apocalyptic science fiction of Oimisville. He he writes in many different genres. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's also, um, I think, a couple of texts where are, are on primarily about his interest in in bugs and insects. So there's a there's a very peculiar. He's, as you say, not someone who's easily pinned down. And he also, you know, after I recently did an episode on um, the philosophy of Emil Choron, who's, who mm-hmm. Junger was a friend with and stayed with for a long time, who seems to me in a, in a way a strange sort of antithesis of Junger's outlook, yet they, they both enjoyed each other's work. Um, so mm-hmm. he, he's not someone who's easy to pin down. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we jump in on specifics of uh, Oimisville and the Forest Passage... Um, I do have to ask you the hermetics question. Uh, you can place three thinkers, living or dead, into a room and listen in on the conversation. Um, we could include Junger and add three others. So who would you pick? Um, okay, I really enjoyed this question mm-hmm. because um, it reminds me of a scene in Oimisville. Um, I mentioned this kind of science fiction character, and there is a uh, an apparatus that allows one to, to uh, travel through time and Part of the time travel through the luminar, that's the name of the, the piece, is um, um, involves going back to um, a wine cellar in Berlin in the 1840s where Karl Marx was debating left Hegelians who were in a sense proto-anarchists. And that uh, debate between Marxists and anarchists uh, continues to today. I think that's, that's one frame you could put around what's taking place in Portland and Seattle. Um, so I thought oh, this is a very Jungarian question. Thank you very much. Um, and I can't commit. Uh, I have a problem with committing in relationships, I guess. But the three that I was thinking of um, uh, this past week, um, um, an, an odd group, I suppose, um, um, uh, Michelangelo, uh, the, the painter. I've been reading about the mystical message embedded in the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel. Um, uh, this is talked about uh, in um, the novel The Second Scroll by A.M. Klein, um, whom um, the Canadian singer Leonard Cohen talks about as his teacher. So my first choice is Michelangelo. His second choice is um, Rosa Luxemburg, uh, the um, uh, German-Jewish-Polish uh, uh, socialist proto-communist of, um, uh, of the uh, – pre-First World One era, World War One era, assassinated in 1919. Um, uh, I've been thinking about her because you know, very much a, um, a, a, a committed leftist, but uh, someone who articulates the first um, pretty emphatic criticism of Bolshevism in her, in her um, um, writing on the Russian Revolution. Um, which appeared posthumously in 1922. Um, And in that critique of Bolshevism, she um, has the famous phrase that freedom is always the freedom of the other, um, which is a remarkably, um, how should I put it, uh, liberal, tolerant position, uh, and one that one, 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 one wishes were more disseminated today in this era of cancel culture. Um, uh, if one could just presume that one would always at least allow for the other side to speak, um, we'd be um, uh, further along. The connection with uh, Michelangelo is the, um, the the imagery of the mass, the masses of flesh, the masses of bodies uh, on the Sistine Chapel. And um, uh, Luxembourg um, thinks a lot about the relationship of the mass, the working class, as opposed to the party. She's suspicious of the party as a vehicle for authoritarian disciplining. And instead, she turns to the mass, the notion of the mass strike. And the, the, uh, the third uh, person, uh, 
third author that I'd like to include, probably, well, maybe less known, um, um, uh, still living, uh, a Syrian author who lives, I believe, in London in exile, uh, Zachary Tamer, T-A-M-A-R, uh, was born in Damascus in 1931, um, uh, an autodidact uh, author of short stories, of children's stories, of animal stories, and a very... Um, um, strong critic of oppression and um, by regimes, but also the cruelty of humans to other humans. Uh, there's a um, story um, uh, in the um, in the volume Tigers on the Tenth Day that I think uh, gets very much to the the um, you know the substance of um, the dictatorial state. So those three: Michelangelo, Luxembourg, Tamir. Um, um, probably um, not a lot of overlap among the three, but I'd like to listen to what they have to say. It seems to me that each one of those represents a a, a theme running throughout Jung's work. So with Michelangelo, we have this mysticism. You've already mentioned uh, the storm and steel sort of common um, understanding of, of that novel as, as this glorification of war, whereas it seems... It always seems to me that war for Jünger was this absolute limit experience, which wasn't necessarily a glorification, but a, a transcendent sort of event, which was absolutely outside man. And I think Jünger is quoted of saying that you you don't return to the mystical, it returns to you. And it's sort of this unavoidable thing. And then with with Luxembourg there, we have the, the critique of leftism, and then we have the sort of exile from one's from one's nation, I guess. Is this why you pick the three that they're sort of representative of areas of Jung's thought? Um, I picked the three because there's the three people who've been on my mind of late. <laughs> okay. And, and okay. so, so is Jung. <clears throat> so <clears throat> there may be a more substantive uh, common denominator. Um, you know, they're all, they're all, um, uh, concerned with the, um, the limits of private individuality, um, without renouncing it. Uh, they're all concerned in different ways with uh, uh, endemic violence in the human experience. And I think that's where you, we would think about Jünger. Although he um, establishes his um, uh, writerly credentials as a, as a war writer, he's, he's, he's certainly not a glorifier of war. What he isn't is a, um, a garden variety pacifist. Um, uh, it, it, it's more as as you suggested that war is either a limit experience or war is an um, uh, an expression of um, uh, a violence that is simply existential in the human condition and um, one can step out of war but one doesn't step out of that violence it, it is it is always about struggle I imagine these three thinkers and maybe some of these themes will return but um stepping into Omersville, um, how would you sort of ex this is an extremely peculiar book um how would you sort of explain it to someone and describe this text well Oemisville um uh is um a um first person narrative uh um one could think of it as a a bildungsroman a novel of development because the um the main the main figure Manuel Venator relates his his life story um, uh, um, uh, from childhood until disappearing in the in the forest. Um, it takes place in a, a location, a town, a city, a city state, Oymersville, which um, uh, appears to be located on the North African coast somewhere. And indeed, while writing this, Juncker traveled to Morocco um, several times. Uh, but the the setting is um, uh, contingent on the assumption that um, uh, the world system has fallen apart. Uh, there was an empire in the past. There was a cohesive state or system of states, and something transpired. And as we learn, something nuclear transpired in the past. So we're living uh, among the survivors, and the survivors are organized in Umasville as uh, members of a city-state um, uh, ruled by a dictator, the Condor, 
and Oimisville uh, um, works in the um, in the Condor's palace, uh, and he's uh, anticipating some kind of uh, coup or civil war or breakdown, and eventually um, he um, he absconds. Uh, along the way, in this um, itinerary of his life, um, there's a good deal of essayism. By essayism, I, I, I mean something really in a kind of strict uh, literary genre theoretical mode. There are lo- it's a novel of ideas. There are long passages in which the plot doesn't move forward, but there are discussion, direct discussion uh, by the narrator or by his characters of, of ideas. And these concern particularly questions of um, – of, um, state organization, uh, anarchism, um, and, and related topics that I'm sure we'll return to. So that's, that's a map of, of Oimisville, um, uh, city state narrative, personal narrative, post-apocalyptic with a lot of science fiction. There are, there are new inventions there. I mentioned one already, a kind of time machine. Um, there are, there are, there are other elements that are like, um, smartphones, uh, but he's writing this in 1977, so that really is uh, futuristic. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, that you you know you mentioned that it's it's um, sort of insinuated that it's after the fall of an empire. Do you think this mirrors when I come to think of the difference in Jung's thought between World War One and World War Two? There's a for him. I mean, obviously he matured a lot between those two two wars, but for him there is a clear separation from any. Um, sort of reverence for a collective form or nationalistic form. Do you think that in the way that this is set after the fall of a great empire, that Junger, in a certain sense, perhaps this is a bit jumping to an assumption, but do you think that he might be talking about the French Revolution here and that he is somewhat of a reactionary? Uh, You you would not be an outlier if you were insinuating that Junger is reactionary. Um, he's clearly conservative in some vein, but not in any strict, strictly ideological mode. Um, uh, he's certainly not a monarchist. There's not a nostalgia for a return to empire at all. Uh, uh, in uh, in the Storm of Steel, where he's reporting on his uh, fighting on the German side in the First World War, there's no. There's no Kaiser romanticism. There's no um, there's no Hindenburg heroization. It's, that's not what it's about. It's more the experience of the battlefield, uh, the experience of the trenches, the experience of the soldier that's at stake. And in his in other war writing in the 1920s, uh, he was, this is one of the ways he was uh, making his career. He'd He'd write as a soldier, but not emphatically as a German soldier or a Prussian soldier, anything like that. Um, and one, and 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 therefore, I, I don't see him as a as a nationalist writer in any way. Um, now, there is a difference between uh, Junger uh, post World War One and and Junger post post World War Two, um, uh, but there's a difference in Europe too. I mean, these these are they're they're they're, they're two devastating experiences with uh, um, you know, considerable continuity between them. You can think of it as one long war um, with uh, shifting constellations. After the, fir- after, the, after the First World War in Germany, there is the experience of the first democracy, Weimar democracy, and he belongs to that um, wide spectrum of thinkers who worry about the um, the character and consequences of democracy. Uh, uh, there, there's, there's certainly something elitist about him, but um, his, uh, his criticism is along the lines uh, that one can find on the left too, the, the sense that uh, you know, democracy isn't authentic or democracy doesn't really give the people uh, capacity to rule themselves or democracy well, you, you hear this since since ancient Greece that democracy has a predisposition to be to turn into corruption or trivialization, um, but he he really doesn't he doesn't hammer on that. He's not a he's not an anti-democratic ideologue. He's a writer of 
of the search for integrity of the individual, whatever the system. Uh, after, after the Second World War, there's no more enthusiasm, uh, uh, no, no more of the enthusiasm that was associated with the conservative revolution movement of the 1920s. Um, I, and one could say that he um, retreats into his, um, into his zoological studies that you mentioned uh, before, or um, he engages in experimentation with the hallucinogenic drugs. Uh, that's another aspect of him. There's uh, Junger, the LSD um, guy. Um, I, but um, in Oymysfield, in any case, um, what I think we see is a, not so much a critique of the nation state, but a critique of the, the universal empire. And I'm using that term in the sense that it is used um, in um, the, um, um, in the, in, in the, uh, in, in, in Xenophone, in the debate between um, uh, Leo Strauss and um, uh, Alexander Kojev. Um, uh, Kojev is um, an internationalist. Uh, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the vision of um, um, meta-regional, if not global rule, uh, the original version of that was Alexander. Um, and uh, since then, the Western imagination has been haunted by the um, the, uh, the the prospect or the desideratum of um, a, a universal regime, uh, and uh, instead, uh, Junga is looking. Junga, like uh, like uh, like Strauss, uh, uh, is very wary of that sense of um, universal rule uh, because of the endemic authoritarian potential within that kind of um, seamless regime of power. Internationalism for, for Junga, I suppose, would represent a kind of um, uh, no exit possibility of the total surveillance state. And that's what he wants to evade. But he wants to evade it um, through the um, specific agility of individual characters rather than through a, um, a, a collectivist movement for change. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it seems that when you're talking about Alexandra and, the, and the, the, this great empire, the, the, what sort of can, what does allow that to continue itself is the idea of the, the collective and the collective support of such a notion. And, you know, this is the first question I've got, um, with, with regard to Oymersville is that there is, um, in the sort of the essayist sections, which you mentioned, there is the a few sections where Junger or, um, the protagonist is talking about how the specifics of history, names, dates, nations, etc., are less important than the movements and the effects on the daily effects on people's daily lives and the influence that these, these events have on the individual's life. And do you think this is where Junger begins his sort of understanding of freedom in Oysville is from, from sort of one should remove themselves from these sort of grand narratives of great nations and titles and, and the idea of um, a sort of Alexandrian history or Hegelian history, I should say. Right, right. Um, um, for, for Strauss, uh, um, there's a, for Strauss, there's a, there's a line effectively in that debate from Alexander to Hegel to Stalin. Hmm? Um, and he's he's saying no, right? and and Junga would also say no, although you know, he's not in any ways a, a Straussian. Um, the, um, the 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 he's he's he he neither he nor um, Manuel the, the Venator the protagonist is particularly interested in the um, the details of history, the specifics of history. It's a in, in that, the, um, the post-apocalyptic character of Oymysville is you know, reminiscent of, um, say, the post-elliptic char uh, character of um, uh, The Road, uh, that, uh, that novel by um, McCarthy, um, and, the, um, and it was filmed 
where there's also an apocalypse. It's not clear what happened in the past. The, the issue is how you survive in the wake of the apocalypse. Um, uh, and, and, and I think that that is a figure of thought that is central to the late Jünger. Uh, and I think it's a figure of thought that I could identify in other uh, modern German, maybe modern European thinkers. Um, we sh the point is not to wait around for the apocalypse. It has happened. Right? How do we survive now in its wake? Uh, what kinds of opportunities for integrity uh, and survival uh, exist uh, in, in this rubble? Um, the, um, uh, that, uh, distance from grand narratives that you mentioned, um, can certainly be taken as an indication of, um, uh, postmodernism, right? If the critique of the grand narrative of consciousness or, um, knowledge or history is, um, a, marker of postmodernism per Lyotard, the postmodern condition, then that is certainly the case in Oimisfield. And that's a, I think that is also indicative maybe of a, of a difference between um, uh, post-World War I and post-World War II uh, Jünger. Post-World War I Jünger, the conservative revolutionary, is still a revolutionary. He really thinks, um, he participates in, 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 um, a, in circles of thought that uh, aspire to emphatic revolutionary change. Um, uh, after World War II, there's a whole lot less um, appetite for committing oneself to this or that ism because they're all going to go wrong. The issue is, I repeat myself, how do you maintain integrity? How do you survive? How do you, how do you, how do you escape the clutches of the mechanisms of conformism that are grabbing at us perpetually? Just as a Short digression from that. It's a, it's interesting that you mentioned the road. I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy as well. And actually, now you come to mention it, I hadn't made the connection before. But the um, probably my favourite novel, um, Blood Meridian. The character, mm -hmm. of the, the character of the judge, is actually highly representative of the kind of violence that the mystical violence that Jünger is speaking about in his war novels. The the sort of unavoidable violence of nature which which ha you you have no say as to whether or not it's going to come and destroy your civilization and and uproot all your values i, I think that's that, that's good blood meridian is a is is is, is an excellent um interlocutor to um uh into um storm of steel um both uh, investigate violence uh uh directly uh and without pulling punches but it would be you know, just a misreading of either to see them as a glorification of violence. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they're, 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 they are statements, in many ways different statements, that, that violence, struggle, conflict, agonistics is what defines um, our existence. Uh, and Jung's criticism of the conformist world, uh, certainly in the 1920s, but then again in the 1950s, 1960s, is the the illusion that we are naturally harmonious uh, and that conflict is naturally resolved and the state is there to resolve conflicts and to guarantee peace um, in fact there's an there's an existential level of brute conflict that one cannot eliminate from human life do you think then for Jünger that he sees the, the violence that we're talking about here, this unavoidable, almost a priori violence of um, of reality as the collective uses their systems of voting and the idea of a state that makes decisions to sort of remove themselves from any responsibility and to actually the violence is just moved into another form. It's just the state now which is undertaking that in a, in a different sort of almost with a, just a different aesthetic. I think that would be his critique of the state, uh, especially um, uh, after the 1950s. Um, but I think he um, has a suspicion that there's 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 a violence that roams the streets uh, uh, that is uh, also um, a matter of non-state actors. Uh, um, it's it's uh, the anarchist which is for him, as you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, a, 
a, a, a pejorative designation because of the ism, huh? uh, the, the anarchist would focus on state violence, the, um, the Gestapo at the door. Huh? Um, but uh, the anarch, uh, which is Jung's alternative figure, um, who is not committed to an ism, but to the state of um, thriving uh, outside of government, uh, I think there's more of a clockwork orange vision here. Um, it's not necessarily always political violence. Rather, violence is the, con the, the condition in which human life, including politics, takes place. Mm -hmm. And there's an interview with Jung when he, mentioned, he talks about the difference between anarchism and the anarch. Or yeah. the anarchist, sorry, in the anarch, very succinctly. And he says, the anarchist sees the ongoings in the world, you know, has their thoughts and gets involved and has protests and activism and placards and et cetera, et cetera, a real sort of puts themselves out there as a position against something, whereas the anarch sees what's going on, thinks their thoughts and retreats. And it seems... That, so for those that haven't read um, Oymersville, the anarch is um, introduced in this novel um, as sort of Jünger's personal sovereign method of escaping the things that he's critiquing that is that is the the, the anarch yeah right? yes yes yeah yeah now again one can't un, um emphasize this difference um um sufficiently there there's the figure figure of thought of the anarchist and there's the figure of thought of the anarch um uh, as many of your uh, listeners will know much ink has been spent on the difference between an anarchist and a communist um and a fascist uh, from Jung's point of view, thought through consistently, the common denominator is that they are all subservient to ism, to, um, to, to, to subordinating themselves to this or that party with this or that program, and they quickly give up their own thinking and their own survival. Uh, uh, he does not want to have any of that. He does not want to have any of that um, self-subordination to a... Um, uh, you know, regime that controls him, whatever color the flag um, is that is flying. Um, at one point, um, uh, I believe it's in Forest Passage, he talks about, you'll have the same demonstrations before and after the regime change. It's just the pictures of the leaders that are held up that will change. But in a sense, the same form continues. Uh, as opposed to that, you have the anarch, uh, and uh, in today's vernacular, we'd say this is someone who is prepared to go off the grid, uh, who 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 can can find a way to live on him uh, on his own for himself. It would include the survivalist, you know, on your own, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. It just means maintaining a space of existential freedom, well aware that you're surrounded by threats. There is no. There is no guarantee of safety and peace you have to be alert mm -hmm. this is why um is so sort of important to me personally because of because of this idea of um i think at least how i read the read the anarch is that it's important to emphasize that it's as you say an existential space and i don't i don't personally think do, do you think it ha you the, the anarch needs a physical space or can the anarch exist uh, as a mental position within an ism, not not of the ism, but you know we're all within a state. We're all I'm within the UK, but in terms of someone, an anarch could be within a state, but still retain their their um, anarch outlook. Uh, I think um, Jung's work challenges us, challenges those of us who are sympathetic to his vision, to to try to answer that question. And my answer is that some will really go off the grid, try to find that physical space, as Manuel does in the in the novel. Um, he tries to build a bunker outside the city. He disappears into the into the city into the forest eventually. But I think uh, one has to take that metaphorically. And there's a uh, there's a um, uh, an exhortation to. Um, to to find a way to live to live freely and with integrity despite the crushing power of conformism uh, associated with the state with the culture industry with the character of society in general um, yeah I'd put um, 
Um, you know, you know, in an American sense, uh, he's, um, he's more Thoreau than he is Emerson. Um, uh, uh, Thoreau, of course, did go out into the woods, but he didn't stay there. Um, uh, Emerson never took that step. In his writings, there is often a depiction of a movement away from um, a site of devastation, a site of a site of defeat. That's that's certainly the way that um, that um, uh, Marble Cliffs ends, where the central figures flee the the agents of tyranny. But I don't think he's called. He's necessarily calling for a um, for a for a for a physical departure. Um, it's possible, but that's not the only way out. Um, you know, footnote to this: there's a there there is an interesting line of thinking that circulates in parts of Silicon Valley. Um, Curtis Yarvin has uh, has um, has promoted it. The notion that the um, part of the um, well, specifically Anglo tradition, is the um, the willingness to move on. To um, to uh, to move out of the ism, to move out of the domain and find some new place, and that's the way he he uh, he frames the um, uh, the motion from England to to the United States. Uh, in the United States, uh, the move the moves westward, but today, including uh, those visions, uh, those utopian visions of of seascaping or indeed even the um the colonization of mars yeah i don't, I don't know if um i'd mentioned this in, this in the emails but actually um i i interviewed curtis yarvin on this show um ah. and his recent writing gray mirror of the nihilist prince is directly influenced by omersville which is one of the reasons i contacted you um about it so i'm i'm sort of smiling here for the fact that you actually know who yarvin is because he's a fairly obscure thinker but he's um, idea of what he calls political detachment and not um, uh, in, in very short feeding the beast of leftism because it always needs something to react against is, uh, as he said to me, um, highly influenced by uh, Ormisville and uh, the Anarch. Yeah, no, I know, I, 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 I know Curtis, I know his writing. Um, uh, and uh, and there, is, there, there is clearly a, a significant similarity, particularly in this 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 figure of motion away from um, from the domain uh, to some new space of freedom, uh, but I guess I'd, I'm arguing that 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 space of freedom does not necessarily have to mean a physical departure. Um, there there could be other forms. Yeah, I really I really liked your um, idea of. The difference between uh, Emerson and Thoreau, because one of the criticisms of Thoreau uh, with respect to, to Walden and his time at uh, Walden um, is that now that we can look back into um, some of the reports at the time, apparently he wasn't very far from his house and he still um, his mother brought him meals occasionally and he was still sort of had this connection to to civilization, apparently. And I always thought that that's actually a very silly criticism because he seems to me, as you sort of stated, a, a sort of an anarch figure in that he existed in his his anarch space, let's let's say, in in his hut. In, um, but at the same time, as as you said earlier, understood that civilization isn't going anywhere, and there's still going to be attacks, and it's still there as a thing. And it's almost as if for the anarch, there still needs to be a relationship with uh, modernity or civilization. Or what it was, you or the empire, because it's not going anywhere. So you need to almost be on on guard against that, um, as as Thoreau was. So I think those criticisms of Thoreau are always quite silly, really. I I agree, and and the the the, um, the program to um, uh, limit one's integration and dependency on the empire or the domain does not necessarily mean one severs all relations altogether. The fact that all relations are not severed, however, does not mean that one is inescapably in the middle of the of the empire either. Uh, and I think the, um, the 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 clearest um, proof of this would be um, uh, with reference to the question of language. Um, if I choose to separate myself, if I choose an anarch's path, um, I'm still going to carry language with me. 
And language, the language I've learned, uh, is um, uh, a effectively a technology, a, a cultural f- uh, uh, object of the uh, culture of, of the um, uh, domain from which I'm departing. Uh, I've been formed in it. The fact that I've been formed in it doesn't mean that I can't leave. But the fact that I can leave doesn't mean that there's no legacy uh, of it in me. I think one has to be a little more subtle in one's thinking about the relationship between the anarch and the system. Um, it reminds me of, of a quote that I, um, to paraphrase something by a philosopher called Michel Serre, who says that man can um, sort of man could venture into the Amazon where there's no civilization and not a not a hint of modernity, but his brain will still be economizing. You know, it's still everything is still going to be appropriated via, as you say, the language which he he's sort of inherited from the empire or the civilization or or the you know as he says economizing, and it's I think perhaps do you, would you say then that sort of one of the practices of the anarch is to begin to question the the sort of the assumptions of their language and why such an anarch exit is seen as such an almost absurd idea. I think. The exit by the anarch is a is a process. It has material sides and spatial sides, uh, conceptual sides and self-reflective sides. Um, and uh, yes, one goes into Sayers Amazon, or indeed at the end of Oymusville, Manuel goes into the into the the post-apocalyptic forest. Uh, but one still has one's memories. One still has one's language. One still has been shaped as a personality, and one should then begin to scrutinize it. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, there are transitions and there's, and I can't, but I'm not, I'm not going to say a transition to what, because that always lo- already locks you into a conclusion and then it becomes another ism. Uh, it's a matter of clearing the way to, to the genuinely new and the genuinely new by definition can't be defined in advance. That was one of the questions I was going to ask: is How does the anarch avoid? How does the anarch avoid getting drawn into anotherism? So, would you say that that has, in the sense that that that, that the anarch doesn't get drawn into anism, the path and passage has to be entirely individual? Entirely individual. You can have friends, <clears throat> you can have partners, um, but you have to be aware that you should make decisions on your own. Um, uh, I think the there's 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 no guarantee that your path is going to work. Uh, I'd um, you know I'd start by saying you probably don't want to sign that petition, uh, and um, um, maybe um, you want to um, limit your dependency on material things. Uh, somehow constrain the impulse to consumerism, and this COVID situation certainly uh, gives us an opportunity to 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 pursue that. Um, uh, although there are other aspects of this situation which are very dismal in light of the the novel, I believe, um, uh, yeah, there, there there really is an emphasis on on the individual as a decision maker. Um, uh, it, it's not um, about individualism, right? It's certainly not a theoretical program for individuality, but it is pointing to the um, capacity, responsibility, um, opportunity of uh, each person to um, make choices and make decisions. Now, the, the, the left will respond, well, that's just an illusion because we're all caught up in social structures. Uh, and that's why we need the state or the party to organize our lives. And um, Jung's novel is not going to make the state and the parties disappear, but it can make us aware of degrees of freedom and flexibility and opportunity that we have in shaping our lives, whether it's into a real forest or whether it's carving our way through the, the, the jungle of the world in which we live in the city. And sort of a, I guess some would consider it a controversial question, but you mentioned at the beginning that obviously Jünger is is seen and perhaps is an elitist. I mean, I think 
at some point either him or someone else describes him as a natural aristocrat. Do you think Junger believed that everyone could be an anarch, or do you think that he did see that the majority really would always belong to the herd, that they were perhaps too unthinking, and that's why people such as the Condor in Oymersville existed? He's um, he's an elitist. His elitism uh, you know, takes on different character over the course of his long career. There's a... Um, there's a, a a letter that he writes to his brother Friedrich Junger, also an author, um, and whose book "The Perfection of Technology," in English but out of print, is uh, is worth reading. Um, uh, his letter of 1934 to his brother Friedrich, uh, uh, where he's uh, commenting very critically about the developments in Nazi Germany one year in, and um, says. Uh, you know, how do we how do we preserve our integrity? And part of the answer is just not participating in das Niedrige, the lowly, right? the common. Right? Um, uh, now this is this is uh, um, symptomatic of a certain elite criticism of Nazis that circulated in Germany in the 1930s. That this is just the this is the rabble. Right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to have anything to do with them. But, you know, um, I take someone who's critical of the Nazi rabble over someone who loves the Nazi rabble. Um, uh, and uh, for, for, for Junger, that's, um, that's uh, elitism uh, deployed in, a, in, a, in an anti-Nazi manner. Um, but it's not a program. It's, uh, it's his inclination. Uh, I don't see passages where he's denouncing the masses I don't see passages where he's denouncing the herd. Um, there doesn't seem to be a um, anything like a, a biological elitism or a social Darwinism. Um, uh, you know, the oeuvre is uh, extensive, and I may be overlooking a passage, but in general, I think it's more a um, um, a call for heroism rather than a denunciation of um, of um, of herd-like behavior. Uh, there are other critics of democracy who focus on the herd. He doesn't. Right? Uh, he focuses on the aspiration to to um, achieve quality, uh, and uh, that uh, one could 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 as he is is in a sense elite, um, but an aspirational elitism rather than a denunciatory um, uh, arrogance. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you you say that. Um, other anti-democratic uh, thinkers focus on the herd and it makes me think of um, obviously there's sort of two that come to mind and obviously Nietzsche is the idea of the herd but also Heidegger and the idea of the they which is sort mm. of Heidegger's notion of, of the herd and Heidegger sort of famously was an anarch in certain senses when he retreated to his his hut and and was a was a, a friend of Jung's. Though Heidegger said that Jung was not a philosopher, just a writer. Um, but it seems that the difference there is that Jung then was actually trying to make it accessible to to everyone who perhaps did have sympathies for this this way of being, unlike uh, others who's just kept on criticizing the herd without actually attending to any practical way of getting away from that which they, they scorned. Uh, that's right. Yeah. So Jung and Heidegger would be a, um, you know, a long, very specialized chapter. Um, Heidegger is um, a philosopher um, uh, who um, uses a very difficult language um, uh, and um, chose, to, chose to live a rural life. Um, uh, Jung is an author who... Um, uh, pursued and succeeded in achieving a kind of literary popularity. Um, the, so they're working in two different, um, two different modes of writing. Uh, the, I, I believe that, that um, yeah, Heidegger does promote a kind of um, elitism that um, I suppose one could project onto Junger, but I don't see Junger uh, cultivating that um, um, uh, for 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 Heidegger, there's a disdain for the man or the they. Um, 
for for modern public life. Uh, for Junger, there's the aspiration to be better than it, and I think there's an important 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 difference there. Um, uh, there's um, uh, lots of um, uh, thinking in the 18th, 19th, 20th century that is that 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 disdains the masses. Um, uh, uh, one could say that um, um, T.S. Eliot does in his descriptions of the of the of the masses as as uh, as mindless, robotic, um, um, uh, lacking in lacking in substance. Uh, uh, I would argue that there's a heavy dose of um, elitism um, that. Uh, uh, is um, hostile to masses on the left as well in Lenin, in the sense that you have to have an avant-garde party to uh, to to lead the dumb working class. Uh, that's what Luxembourg reacted against. So there's a uh, a continuity. Um, the um, uh, Junga isn't doing that. He's if for him, it could be systematic in the sense that were he to focus primarily on the failings of the masses, the temptation to turn that into an ism would be great. Instead, it's more like a uh, modeling a successful life in the midst of a deeply unsuccessful world. That's, uh, that's, that's what I think we, one finds in Jung. So that the, the energy that one expends on criticizing the masses is still feeding that notion of the masses and really one wants to just remove that energy and apply it to to their own creations and their own projects you know i think that the 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 i'd, I'd want to think about this more but the, the 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 rhetoric of a critique of the masses is indicative of a, a speaking position uh that one wants to tell the masses how to live mm-hmm. um you know, these are the kinds of people who want to have administrative jobs uh, these are the kinds of people who um, who who want to run other people's lives, uh, and Junger doesn't want to do that. Uh, Junger wants to be able to, or his characters want to be able to live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, one just connection connected to the sort of post-apocalyptic theme, and and sort of I think bridging over to the Anarch. Do you think that the idea of a, a sort of um, almost cosmic impermanence and the, the idea that all civilizations decay is something almost like a first principle for an anarch in that they need to understand that nothing is permanent and that that adherence to some state or civilization is, is just adherence to something that will eventually uh, decay and rot away. In Oymersfield and otherwise in Junga, there, there, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of Conflict, struggle, impermanence uh, in uh, in the human condition, um, and um, I mean, I think I think this is <laughs> this shouldn't even be controver- controversial. All things pass, um, uh, but uh, but integrating an awareness of that into one's um, aesthetic thinking, social thinking that's the that's the big challenge, um, uh, and and of course all of this takes place for Junga against the backdrop of um, regime after regime failing in, uh, in, in 20th century Europe. Some of us live in states that have been around for a century or two or many, uh, but some are in states that are um, quite short-lived. Yeah, this was one of the, the, the themes that came up in the Choron episode when we mentioned Junga, is that Choron's sort of deeply pessimistic view, one can almost root it in the fact that he... Um, came from Romania, um, so very newly formed country, whereas opposed to Junger, who's in Germany, which has been around for a long, long time. And there's this sort of um, almost a foundation that one doesn't have. It's interesting that you said that it shouldn't be controversial that all things pass, and yet that seems to be the the primary symptom of progressivism, the idea of uh, perpetual progress of whatever it is, the underlying abstract progress is the idea that there is something that which will never pass. And I think... I would go out on a limb to say that I think Junger foresaw that and foresaw that in such a way as that he tried to make it clear in Ormesville and some other texts that we need to remember this and we're entering into a time where uh, technology, which obviously he comments as well, but also the technology in combination with politics is making it possible for us to actually forget this, um, except obviously to our 
last breath when we finally have to admit it. I don't know what you'd make of that, but I do think Junger foresaw some of those symptoms. That, that's right. Uh, in the um, in the city state of Eumersfield, uh there is a, a dictator, the Condor, um, uh, who um, maintains control. Uh, there's no illusion that he's good, but there is a um, a recognition that the um, the state exercises power, um, uh, and many willingly subordinate themselves to it. But uh, Manuel sees through it uh, and tries to carve out spaces of freedom for for himself. There there may be a certain critique of the of the of the conformist masses inherent in that description of the citizenry of, of Eumersfield. But I think that the real message on, on Jung's part is, um, uh, is, is, uh, somewhat, um, is pitched a little differently. And that is that the temptations for integration, conformism, um, subordination, uh, are just uh, are just extraordinary, and they've only grown larger since then. Now, the the um, the scope of surveillance is just uh, um, something Jünger probably couldn't even have imagined in his nightmares in uh, in in 1977. Um, the, uh, the the dissemination of cameras, the extent to which we're tracked on the internet, the extent that we live on the internet and we're tracked there, um, uh, and add to that the um, the, uh, the the current political atmospherics that um, that seem to encroach on um, the the capacity to articulate heterodox positions um, in universities, in the press, uh, in the public in general. Uh, one um, you know, one takeaway I have from 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 the the pandemic experience that I think is consistent with Jung's views is that it's breathtaking the extent to which. What we thought were fundamental freedoms could be abrogated so instantaneously and without much judicial review. That's not an argument for or against masks. Uh, it's not an argument for or against social distancing. But the um, the fundamental liberties that we thought made up our lives in liberal democracies can just be taken away, um, and that demonstrates a different um, endoskeleton to the. Um, to the to the state that usually is hidden. So not to sound too cheap, but there's uh, never never been a greater time to uh, start thinking for yourself and become an anarch. That's right. It's a, it's it's a it's a matter of in, uh, cultivating a capacity for a critical space around oneself, whether it's just conceptual or taking steps in your life. Uh, um, although I think. Um, the, those two go hand in hand, uh, and um, the, the I use the word again: the temptation to return to the flesh pots of conformism are just um, you know, extraordinarily powerful, and they are hammered at us every day through through the uh, through the media. Um, and um, the pursuit of a free space that is not already colonized by an ism is uh, is vital. And this is this is particularly important, I think, uh, um, for for individuals who may be um, you know, attracted to this or that um, form of specific political engagement. You know, be very, very careful how much free thinking you're giving up. Critical thinking does not just mean, "Aha, uh -huh, I have the gotcha moment about this or that politician." Um, uh, free thinking also involves. I've got. I've, I. I. I I understand how the seemingly critical rhetoric is really just corralling myself into a political agenda. Is there anything you, you would like to add um, on these topics that you, you think we've missed or glossed over? Uh, you know, we could talk about uh, the novel at length. Uh, I, I want to I you know, point out uh, um, the forest passage as uh, an text I regard as uh, particularly important from 1951. I think many of these themes about um, freedom and anarchy um, are, um, are already there. And it's a, it's a, it's a shorter, um, more direct essay in contrast to the, um, the, the, the longer, um, the longer novel, novel, I must feel. Uh, 
maybe I should point out that um, you know, we've used the term existential uh, many times, something that's fundamental to the human experience as such. And these existential elements are uh, repetitive. They, they are what make up our, our being. It's the, that, that term movement that you used earlier. Movement doesn't mean you know, the movement to, um, to, um, to, to, to end nuclear power or the movement, blah, 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 but the, move, the movements in our, very, in, our, in, the, in, in our very lives. Part of that existential dynamic, the existential constant, has to do with an interest in archaic experiences, uh, experiences that have been constitutive of human um, uh, human life, human forms for 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 a long time. Some things just don't change. I think this explains why um, in some of Jung's texts and in Oemisfield f- for sure, here and there you see these um, eruptions of um, of archaic mythological imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, in um, in in Oemisfield, it has to do with Icelandic sagas. Um, uh, now, in in early twentieth century modernism, you'd also have um, um, deployments of um, archaic material mythology, Joyce Ulysses. Um, but uh, it 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 works differently in Junga. There's a there's a set of archaic images of heroic battle and defeat that keep recurring, and that's where that's where where our lives are, and in and in Forest Passage, he describes a scene from. So it's writing around 1950, but he's describing a scene in Berlin in the 1930s, and he talks about. I mean, it's an odd hero for for Junga, a um, a social democrat or a communist, um, uh, and the Nazis are at his door, and um, he fights back. He takes a um, a weapon and he's acting like. In Jung's view, an ancient Germanic hero fighting for freedom. The ability to draw on that archive of archaic knowledge is vital for Jung. Mm-hmm. There's um, there's a connection here with, and there's not much scholarship on this, but I did an episode on a philosopher called Ludwig Klages, who was mm-hmm. um, alive during the same time as sure. Jung, and I believe there was. I be- This could be entirely incorrect, but I believe there is actually a direct connection. Um, I think Junger was inspired by Klages, and the mysticism of Klages is very um, alike that of Junger in the sense of um, this connection with archaic mysticism and and myth in the sense that it's always underlying. And I think uh, this almost coincides with this idea of violence that we were talking about earlier, that there's these unavoidable um, underlying precepts of reality of violence and myth and and of, of a sort of a mystical thing which 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 as you as you state sort of brilliantly erupt in in moments i'm always i'm always reminded of my potentially my favorite passage of Junger in storm of steel where he turns i think he's he's just arrived in the trenches and he turns into one and he he states um and i met the great god pain as if there was mm-hmm no way he could really describe this other than understanding that the the it's just been an, an eruption of pain as as if that was its own sensibility in myth yeah this um this 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 durability of myth and particularly uh the legacy of myths as repositories of knowledge is a um a, a figure of thought in uh in germany in the period Klages is enormously important for example for thomas mann uh, the Nobel Prize-winning author, but also uh, for um, for uh, the Frankfurt School, for uh, Theodor Adorno and uh, Max Horkheimer. You know, unfortunately, they've been sort of appropriated by garden variety and left thinking. Um, but uh, there's 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 so much more going on there. And, and the the key claim in their book, Dialectical Enlightenment, is that ancient myth teaches us something still today because there are characteristics of our lives that are that remain mythic uh and um if we if we delude ourselves into believing that we're in a um an innocent peaceful uh post-conflict modernity where none of this where none of the irrational pertains and only rationality uh rules 
um, where uh, we've 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 already lost. Uh, uh, it, it, it's vital to recognize the um, sig- the significance and the extent to which myth continues to operate in complex ways, both as both as delusion, that's the critical usage of myth, right? the, uh, but also as a, as a way to know the world. That's what myth was. It was a pursuit of knowledge and a pursuit of power and it's a pursuit of freedom. Uh, and um, there, there, there's, a, there, there's a lot of that in, in the figures whom Clagas influenced and uh, one can certainly read Junga that way. He shows us in a mythic world of conflict, how do we navigate it? That seems, unless you have anything else to add, that seems like a good place to, to finish up. Sounds good to me. Thanks so much.